Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I am your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter and founder of The Copyworks. In this podcast, I interview marketing and copywriting experts on all facets of, well, marketing and copy, with an emphasis on the link between the two, with a focus on creating higher conversions in your B2B business. I also include recordings from the other side of the table where I'm interviewed by the host of other podcasts and short clips of tips from yours truly on copywriting. In short, you'll find something for everyone in the marketing and copywriting B2B world. Let's dig in. My guest today is John Egan. John and I go way back, literally like over 10 years. We've known each other forever. I'm going to get into that in the actual interview, but just for his intro, let me just tell you that he is the owner of Jayhawk Media LLC and the author of a newly released book called The Stripped Down Guide to Content Marketing. He is a content creator and content marketing strategist in Austin, Texas, and his work has been published in every outlet out there, including Experion, Capital One, The Balance, creditcards.com, Bankrate, Sherm, and U.S. News and World Report. So he will talk today about what he wishes brands would do when it comes to content marketing, and as well as some of the trends that he's seeing in content marketing, and a couple of things that brands can do to improve their content marketing initiatives as well as a whole bunch of other fun stuff. Now, I always say I'm so excited to have a guest on today, and I always am, but today's a little bit different because usually when I interview someone for a podcast, I've spoken to them maybe once before we actually get on the interview. Sometimes I don't talk to the person until we are actually in the interview. So with my guest today, John Egan, we have known each other seemingly forever. It's been like literally 12 years, I think. <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah. And so I just wanted to tell people like what has just our background, I think is kind of interesting. So I used to write content for John. John was my editor for a lot of insurance companies. This was back in like 2010, I guess. Something around there. Yeah. Yeah. And John literally saved my life because I remember the business was kind of quiet and I never wrote about insurance before. But I just dove into it and learned way more than I ever thought I needed to know about insurance. And it actually has helped me now when I deal with insurance companies. It's funny. Kind you of. and me both, because I didn't think I'd learned that much about insurance either. <laughs> more than either of us ever thought we wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. And so then a few years ago, I um, wanted to do something a little bit different, switched over to copywriting. John and I have stayed in touch. And so when he told me that he was writing a book and content, I said, let's, let's get you out there and promote your book. And so actually, as of today, your book is coming out in like a week. It comes out November 9th. Okay. So it'll be out by the time this is published. Yeah. 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 So well, welcome. And I'm so happy to have you here after all these years. <laughs> I know it's great. We've kept up with you with each other and now you're doing podcasting and I know. Things change fast. You kind of have to change with the times too. Yeah, yeah. And the thing with content, I wanted to just briefly differentiate because people always ask me, what's the difference between content and copy? And tell me if you have anything to add to this, John, because I think that 
Content to me is articles and blog, basically information that's for entertainment. A lot of it's like for SEO on, you know, in articles where copy is written. And I thought they were very similar till I actually started doing it. And it's really different. You need a whole different set of skills. It's geared to marketing. There's always a call to action. There is a purpose to everything that is written. Like copy always has, like I start with the end in mind when I'm writing copy for somebody. It's always like, what is it they're, this client is trying to achieve? Do they want people to sign up for something? Do they want to buy something? And so, but the two are needed as far as branding. I mean, is there anything you would add to that? I think they go together. They are certainly complementary. And I do think that with content marketing and with copywriting, there is an end goal in mind. You are looking for some sort of action for them to take, whether that's, oh, I feel a lot better about this brand because they're very authoritative or, oh, I'm going to click on this and download the PDF for this case study. So you're wanting some sort of outcome, whether it's tacit or it's it's a little wishy-washy. Okay. I think with copy, what people see copywriting, a lot of it is like ads, like an ad. When somebody is confused, which is often the case when they ask me what I do, I just say, well, you know, you see an ad somewhere like that's copywriting versus, you know, you get on a blog. There's a more of a subtle call to action, I think, with content. You know, it's yeah. Not, yeah, it's not definite and it's really up to you what you want to do with the information. Yeah. And usually there is content that has a specific call to action within the copy or within the video or whatever form the content takes. So I, I feel like copywriting and content marketing are cousins, but the extent of the relationship, they're not a hundred percent. They're not twins, in other words. Right, right. Because, yeah, it's just something that, again, I didn't know until I really got into it. And it's like, I had to learn a lot. And I learned it the hard way because I was hired by someone to, and she said to me, this was years, years ago, can you do some copywriting for me? I said, oh, sure. Being <laughs> like I knew it all. And it was a disaster. She's like, I could have written this. I don't even know what this is. And that's when I realized, okay, this is not the same thing. Well, I think part of what you do that I don't do with content marketing is you're being more persuasive and there is much more of a call to action. You want somebody to take a very specific action, whether that's buy this product, order this service, whatever the case may be. And it's, it's always, yeah, it's specific and it's, there's a lot of decision-making psychology behind it. And I'm always listening to marketing podcasts and marketing, reading marketing books because it's so, it's closer to marketing than it is to, to writing. Yes. In fact, I had a, a copywriting coach that she said, if you call yourself a writer, cut your fee by 75%. Because she said writing, and that's not true of all writers, obviously, but she said, you know, when, when you're hired by a, a client for copy, they want, they want results. They want revenue. They want to measure the results. So I guess that's right. the main difference. But when it comes to content, so I'm going to have you talk about your book in a minute, but I wanted to get some behind the scenes kind of information. So what do you wish that brands would do when it comes to content marketing? Maybe something you don't see them doing either. Well, I think you can't throw a blanket over every brand and say, gee, I wish I they, they did this, or I wish they did that because there are some brands that are probably doing these things. But I'd say one of the things is really putting some resources behind the content, whether that's monetary, whether that's people, it's very important to put out high quality content and not necessarily crank out content all the time. There's plenty of junk online 
And that's not where you want to be. You want to be in the high quality content bucket so that you're showing people that you're a reliable, dependable brand that knows what they're talking about. And how would you differentiate between like junk content and content that's valuable? Well, I, I talk about this in my book, Lady Gaga's Meat Dress. Uh, I don't know if you remember that or not. Yes. I went overboard in, in using the phrase like Lady Gaga's Meat Dress. And so a lot of content out there tries too hard to please Google in terms of SEO. And you really need to keep in mind that you're writing for the reader or writing for maybe a video, it may be an infographic, some sort of content. You've got to keep in mind who the end user is and not necessarily what Google wants. Mm-hmm. That being said, SEO is an important component of content marketing, but it's not everything. Yeah. And the thing too with SEO is you can, because I've, I've seen this question before. People say, well, if if you don't want SEO to be like, obvious like when you get on a website and i actually had to rewrite an entire website that was based that was they had hired an seo copywriter and just the same phrase was used over and over and over it was so obvious and so the question was you know what do you do if you don't want it to be so obvious but you want the seo benefit and the yes. answer was you know put it in a blog like you can put it in other places on the site instead of just all in one paragraph or something well and, and really have to be careful about going overboard with keywords and key phrases. There's a time and place for them, but every sentence doesn't have to be your primary keyword or your primary key phrase. Yeah. Like me dress. (laughs) That was one of my favorite parts of writing the book was coming up with the meat dress example. And it just, as I said in the book, I don't think Lady Gaga could, could um, maintain her poker face if (laughs) She read that paragraph because it's just so over the top keyword stuff. And you can't really get away with that anymore. But I think some people still try mm-hmm. and think that's the way to go about it. It's not. And I think most brands know that that's not the way to go. And they're very savvy about that. But there are still folks out there who think that the end all and be all is keywords. And it's not. Because the thing is, too, especially if it's like a website. If the SEO keyword gets them to the site, but then they get to the site and there's nothing for them of quality, they're going to bounce anyway. So good job getting them there. And then what? You know, so you need to have that content within the site too that's that's valuable, right? Well, I had an editor once who said, and I remember this to this day, and since this is an adult podcast, I can say this. He said, people are just one click away from porn. So in other words, we're very distracted And you want to be able to keep that person engaged, whether that's return visits or whether that's a single visit, but you're right. I mean, people bounce around all the time and you want to be able to create content that keeps them on your site, keeps them coming back for more. Right. And I had read all kinds of statistics about everything from, I think the maximum amount of time I I heard was that it's three seconds. You have three seconds to get their attention. And that's no time at all. And if they, if it takes that long or longer for your site to even upload, to upload or download, I never know, to open up, <laughs> then you're, they're already gone. So, but are there some trends that you're seeing in content marketing? Because I know on LinkedIn, everyone's talking about content. So what are some of the things you're seeing as far as trends? Well, I think people are getting wiser about trying to 
keep people engaged, knowing that they're not going to read an entire article necessarily. So shorter paragraphs, punchy sentences, bullet points, numbered lists. And the way I look at it is, and I explain this in my book, is that you can give people what they are looking for, and then they can bounce. So, you know, you have lots of subheads and content, and that's so people can scan, they can consume the content in the way they want to. Maybe they're looking for an answer to a specific question, and you've answered it in one chunk of a blog post. Great. You've, you've helped them. And then they're going to go on to recipes or, you know, whatever else they're looking at online. And so it sounds like part of it too is visual, right? Because I know when I write and I, the things that I read, in fact, there's a lot of complaining on LinkedIn. Everyone's like, oh, people are, you know, they're writing one single line and that's the whole paragraph. Well, it does get you to read more, but sometimes it it gets a little carried away. True. There is a fine line, but you also have to keep in mind that white space is your friend in many cases when you're looking at things online. You don't want this gigantic blob of text that's all black and white because that's just a turnoff. And I'm noticing that still, that there are some traditional media outlets that haven't gotten the memo and they're still doing these gigantic paragraphs. And I click off of those oftentimes so that I can't be the only one who who does that. Yeah, exactly. And even like in copywriting, it's like the subheading, well, they call them crossheads. That should tell people what is below it so that they can either just read that. It's like 80% of people don't go past your headline or your subject line anyway. So, you know, you really have to make that stand out. And then also the content and bullet points, anything that separates it out. People are so... It's not that they're lazy because I do the same thing. You know, we skim. And if it's something that we want to read, then we'll go back and read it. Well, they're looking for answers to questions. They're looking for information. They're looking for entertainment value, but they're in search of something specific. And you really have to be just have a powerful piece of content in order for somebody to say, I'm going to spend X number of minutes with this online. And that's truly valuable. But. You've got to realize, you know, I used to, when I was in the newspaper business, I would have just thought, oh my God, people didn't read my whole story. Well, now I know that that's the case, that you're lucky if people get to the very end and that they've consumed all of the content within a blog post or an infographic. Part of it is realizing what your audience wants in terms of content. Do they want video? Are they more geared toward visual? So you want more infographics. Do you need to do case studies, white papers, blog posts? You can't just throw everything out there and expect all of it to perform well. You've really got to look at who your audience is and say, okay, Joe and Jane Schmo want this type of content. This is the kind of content that performs well. Let's give them what they're looking for and not guess about it, but also not deviate to other forms of content that don't resonate with your audience. The same goes for social, you know, on, on LinkedIn, there's always talk about what is it that the algorithm's going to pick up on. Then there's also people saying, stop blaming the algorithms for your lousy analytics. <laughs> Maybe your content is just crappy. So, it, but yeah, it's like now with TikTok in those short videos, every platform is trying to mimic a version of that. And LinkedIn is one of them. So, you know, we're all trying these different things and you hear stuff about, like I was told 
by someone who has been in LinkedIn longer than me, they favor new people on LinkedIn. So if you never really post on LinkedIn and you post on there, it, it's going to distribute your content wider. I don't know. I just know that lately it seems to be off for not just me, but a lot of people. So I probably should be blaming myself, but who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, you've, if you're creating content or creating copy, you've got to realize there are algorithms everywhere. Google has them. Amazon has them. LinkedIn has them. The list goes on and on. So trying to get the secret sauce of algorithms is a little bit difficult. And, but then when Google comes out with a blog post talking about algorithms, then everybody latches onto it. And that's all you hear about for the next several weeks. But then it's on to the next algorithm change or some other change that's happened in the online world that people are like, oh, now we have, you know, it's the bright, shiny object syndrome. I just do the best I can and hope that people like it. <laughs> I just wanted to add one more thing when you mentioned about like length of content is that, you know, there's a, a saying that, well, you can't, at least when it comes to copy, that you can't be too long, but you can be too boring. Like if you're copy, I mean, think about you know, these kids are reading Harry Potter books that are like hundreds of pages long. And if anything, they're the ones that you would think would be least interested in sitting down and actually reading any long thing. But if it's captivating enough, people will stick with it. So that's yeah, I, that's a little bit different too. I mean, that's yeah. pure entertainment value. If they're not reading that to necessarily learn something new, they want to be entertained. They want to be taken into a different world. And that's great when you're talking about fiction, but nonfiction is a different story, so to speak. Although there are times I'd like to be taken into a different world, but that's besides <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, I think we all find escapes somehow with, with content, whatever content it may be, whether it's a music video or a TikTok video or a blog post or some LinkedIn post, an inspirational quote. Mm. You know, we find ways throughout the day to, to take our minds off of the super serious stuff. Yeah, I always have at least one fiction book going along with nonfiction because at night when I'm trying to relax, I don't want to read about marketing because I'll just start thinking and I'll never get to sleep. <laughs> you know? So what are some things that brands can do to improve their content marketing initiatives? So there's some steps they can take or actions they can take. I think one thing that's important is getting back to what I mentioned before, understanding your audience and making sure that you're, you've got that nailed down. Who is your audience? Who are you trying to appeal to? Who are your current and future customers, clients, donors, what, you know, whatever it may be, students, whatever kind of organization you're in, you need to try to tailor your content to what they're looking for. And sometimes it's a good idea to get out of your comfort zone, get out of the marketing department and go talk to your salespeople, go talk to the people who uh, you know, in your call center mm -hmm. about what kinds of questions are people asking? What kind of concerns are they raising? And that'll help you shape content. And there's all sorts of ways to, to engineer content in terms of what the keywords are and what you're trying to get across with all sorts of tools that you can use. I mean, Google's got some great tools, for instance, that you can use to figure out questions that people ask about certain topics. Google Trends is another thing that you can look at and say, oh, people are curious about this. Maybe we should write a con piece of content based on this, or maybe we should do video based on this. Nailing down who your audience is is so critical because otherwise you're just wasting your time and energy putting out content that isn't going to resonate with anybody. 
And then you need to figure out what is the goal? What are you hoping to, to achieve with this content? And I think one of the things you need to keep in mind is not every brand is going to have the same goals. There are some brands that want to build brand authority. There are some that really do want to drive pure revenue. They want to add to their email list. They want to get clicks onto certain products and services. So it can be all over the place. And when I've worked in-house on content marketing teams, the expectation has not been, oh, we want to generate X dollars of revenue based on this content. It's more about the traffic, how people, how long people stay on the page, your brand authority. Are you getting your name out there? Are you getting backlinks to your content? Organic, especially organically. If people are finding your content and they're like, Hey, this is great content. And I'm writing a piece related to this. I'm going to backlink to this. That is golden. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else you can add to that? Because it's funny because somebody asked me about backlinks the other day and I said, you know, I am not an SEO expert. So if somebody reaches out to you and they want you, like, how does it work that it's it's in your favor if you are the author of the article itself? Well, you want good high-ranking websites to link back to your content. So a lot of times that means media outlets like New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, but it goes well beyond that. It could be a very authoritative website in your industry or a trade publication. Anything that raises your visibility in the eyes of Google is going to help you. And part of that is getting those backlinks and both quantity and quality, but I would really focus on the quality of them. And if, if, if you have a strategy where you're targeting backlinks, which I've actually had to do before, then you start thinking about the time invested and Are you going to get what you want out of it? Am I pitching websites that have enough domain authority to matter for us? Right. Yeah, I used to write for a publication years ago, and they would um, always, all their articles would get picked up by the Huffington Post. Now, I never wrote directly for HuffPo, but they were always backlinking to my articles. So that got me a lot of exposure. So that's that's what a backlink would do, right? Just boosts me up to that other publication. It gives you an online boost and it really adds credibility. And you'll see a lot of brands post something with logos saying mentioned in, and then they'll start naming the media outlets that have cited them, like Time Magazine, the HuffPo, Washington Post, the list goes on and on. It's funny because you see these commercials for some kind of prescription drug and it says, read about us in Health Magazine. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Health Magazine and read about your drugs. You know, I... I think a lot of those are legally required. And so that's why they do that. I can't imagine that they're like, hey, let's do an ad on TV. And oh, let's direct people to a print product so they can (laughs) read about it. Because if you've noticed those print ads for pharmaceuticals, they go on and on and on and on and on. They're like two pages usually. And so they're trying to check off that box of we've informed the public about the side effects and and everything else related to this drug. Okay, that makes sense. Because every time I see that, I'm like, why would I want to buy a magazine for your ad? I just saw your commercial. And sometimes I think I didn't know that magazine still existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Because most of them don't anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> but, well, what are some of the most popular types of content marketing? Well, blog posts are tried and true. I mean, it's something that 
has worked well for a long time. And that really should be a key to a content marketing strategy and content marketing program is making sure you've got some robust blog content. And again, you don't have to put it out every day or you don't have to put out a whole bunch of pieces every day. If you have a small team and, and it's a smaller brand, maybe you put out one or two pieces of kick-ass content every week. That's going to do you a whole lot more good than just throwing stuff out there and not worrying about the, the quality as much as the quantity. And, you know, with you mentioned TikTok earlier. I mean, that's something the content marketers are needing, think, needing to think about. You've got YouTube is always very popular, so YouTube videos. But again, it's, is your audience there? Are they on TikTok? Well, if you're a lifestyle brand that appeals to Gen Z, then yeah, that might work for you. But if it's 55 and over, eh, I don't know if TikTok's going to be the best place for you to spend time and energy putting content out there. The only argument I've heard against that lately, because I'm completely on board, like I, I'm on TikTok just for my own entertainment, but I have an account there. But a lot of people are starting to use it as a portfolio. Uh, taking small snippets of their videos from other, like from YouTube, because I'm in the process of actually doing that now and just putting it, putting all the shorts on TikTok so they can direct people to it because they all have captions. This is the subject. Because otherwise, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not, I can't imagine that my audience is on there other than for their own entertainment, but time will tell. I mean, it's been out there, it's been more popular longer than I ever thought. Because after what happened with Vine and uh, yeah, the other one, Clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, some of these come and go. And so you got to catch it while it's hot. And I don't think TikTok's going anywhere because it's risen up so much in terms of usage that it's hard to ignore. If you're a brand, you at least need to explore whether that's an avenue you need to go down. You may not need to because it, it just doesn't, it's not where your audience lives. You right. need to need your demographics and figure out, okay, because of our demographics, you should give it a shot. And if it turns out it works well, then great. If it doesn't, then move along to something else. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know how long it's been. I, I guess it's been a couple of years, but you know, we'll see. See a year from now, the conversation, is, you know, but I'd like to know more about your book. Now, since it's not out yet, I haven't seen it. So tell me about it and what, you know, what made you actually write it? And then what can we expect? So you can expect this to be a very nuts and bolts look at content marketing. It's not high level philosophical. It is things you can take and use. It's actionable items. Mm -hmm. It's a book I wish had been around when I started in content marketing. It gives you a real solid grounding about SEO and what content marketing is and how to craft good content, all sorts of things that are very essential to having a good content marketing program. And my hope is that people take this, use the lessons I've learned, both good and bad, avoid the bad ones, adopt the good ones, and then build a, a good content marketing strategy, a good content marketing program. And ultimately the goal there is to build authority, build revenue and I think people can take away information from this book and improve their content marketing or launch content marketing to begin with, because maybe they're not doing any content marketing at all. So even someone like myself, who's just an individual, I mean, I would benefit from it because I'm kind of all over the place with strategies. <laughs> I would love to have just some guidance. So you think it would help me? 
Well, yeah. I mean, you're one of the people I would think would benefit from it, especially if you decide, hey, I want to do some content marketing. So it could benefit a freelance content marketing writer. It could benefit somebody who's new to content marketing. They've just joined a marketing team at a company. It could be an entrepreneur who kind of needs to cobble together content marketing on their own and they don't have a team to do it. But it it really gives people a, it kind of level sets things so that they have a good understanding of what content marketing is and what you can get out of it, how to execute it well. And again, ultimately, you want to be able to hit your goals, achieve something, whether it's broadening your audience, making more money, being successful with your business, ultimately. I love that. So you can kind of set a goal for yourself and then figure out with your book, you can kind of figure out the strategy to get there. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, it's really a hands-on guide. It's not something where I'm talking about very lofty stuff. It's more about rolling your sleeves up and doing the work to put out great content and, and get a benefit out of it. I'm looking forward to it because, and the thing is too, is to take action on it because people read books all the time and they don't do anything and they end up not making any progress because they haven't done, taken the action. So, well, I've given very specific examples of things I've done that worked and didn't work. And it should give people food for thought in terms of, hey, maybe we should try something like that. Or, whoa, we want to stay away from that because that didn't work very well. Right. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see it. So, yeah, where else can people find you if they want to contact you or find out more about you? Well, my website's johnegan.net, and there's information on the website about my book. Uh, Rather than trying to steer people to the long URL for the book on Amazon and other platforms like that, that's the best way for them to get information about me and the book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for taking time today. I'm excited about your book, and I appreciate you uh, with all your great advice today. Well, thank you, friend. Okay, so that wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it valuable. And if you did and you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with friends and business associates who may find it of interest as well. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn or you can reach out to me through my website at thecopyworks.com and we'll talk to you soon.